my privilege and pleasure to introduce today's Grand Rounds speaker, Jacqueline Hannon Smith, uh, director of uh, Dart Lab, otherwise known as uh, the Immune Monitoring uh, Flow Cytometry Shared Resource. Uh, Jackie was born and raised in the uh, beautiful island nation of uh, New Zealand, the North Island, and graduated um, with BS in science um, at Auckland University. And then went on to University of London and did her um, PhD in immunology. Then had several postdocs, um, two of which were in the uh, Jewish Institute of Denver. Then came, uh, I think, in 1990 um, to Dartmouth for a third postdoc. And eventually that led to her uh, being um, the director of this uh, shared resource, which I'm going to tell you about uh, today. Um, Jackie's mentored many people, numerous to mention, uh, teaches several courses on immunology uh, every year, uh, has developed numerous uh, clinical assays that are in use today, some of which I'm sure she'll tell you about, uh, numerous publications, and uh, is owner of a, a patent. So uh, her experience and knowledge is uh, wide indeed, especially in immunology, and we're very lucky uh, to have her here. Um, I do have to say that um, Dr. Smith has no financial interest in the past 12 months uh, and was partially funded by Immunex and Sophie. Um, Alan Hartford, course director for this CME activity, reports that my relationship with industry, or her relationship with industry, has been resolved by validating the content of her talk. Uh, she does not intend to discuss off label or investigational uses of a product or drug or device, and she's not receiving any direct payments from uh, any commercial entity. Uh, please note that uh, for CME credit, use the activity code displayed outside the room uh, following this uh, presentation. And I'll close by uh, noting that um, Dark Lab is one of several cancer center-supported uh, shared resources. Um, and you can find any information you need uh, about them, contact if you have further questions on the Cancer Center webpage under Shared Resources. So without further ado, uh, let's hear about Dharma. Thank you, Craig, for your kind introduction. And thank you all for coming to hear about Dart Lab and the wonderful world of immune monitoring. Uh, these are my disclosures, and uh, Craig has already gone through this. The outline of my talk this morning, I'd like to tell you about the services that we offer, where we are, who uses us, who we are, our technology, quality assurance, and then I'd like to discuss a few of our users, whom I see here, uh, with some little vignettes. So the 
overall goal of the immunology and cancer immunotherapy program here at the Cancer Center is to unite the efforts of basic scientists and clinical immunologists to define how the immune system impacts cancer development and progression, to develop novel strategies that use immunity to treat cancer, and to conduct clinical trials to test novel therapeutics and approaches to improve patient survival. And DartLab plays a role in making this happen. If we look at some of the services, and these services um, are targeted really to the clinicians, the immune monitoring services. The, we, we do a lot with project logistics. So we recruit and consent healthy controls. We track these using REDCap database, which is available to all of you. We provide specimen tubes and a CRF, a case report form. And you can see that the blood drawing labs are in the hospital or the surgical suites are in the hospital. So somebody has to get the specimen from there up to Dart Lab. And sometimes that can take three or four hours or more. But we provide a service where we go and pick it up so that we're processing the sample within half an hour of blood draw. And we can store and ship processed specimens. Uh, these are a couple of rather large minus 140 nitrogen tanks that we have. Specimen processing. We isolate plasma and serum and cryopreserve from whole blood. Similarly, uh, peripheral blood mononuclear cells. This is done with FICOL, FICOL hypake. We also process tumor and skin and lymph nodes. We can cell enrich with magnetic beads or we can sort with the Faxaria cell sorter. Now, all these are important when we're looking at the immunology of whatever response is, is being uh, looked at. So here's a tumor, and you can see the various immune cells that are involved in the immune response to this tumor. And our clinical trial endpoint assays, whoops, uh, we have multiple of these that look at cell function and look at cell phenotype. So the cell function are at the top. We can look at viability, intracellular staining, L-spot assays to look at frequencies of antigen-presenting cells. Cell metabolism is a new assay using the seahorse. Uh, cell proliferation, we can look at multiplex cytokines, or we can look at single cytokines by ELISA. Then when we phenotype cells with staining panels, we can look at any of these cells that are over here around the tumor. As long as there is a marker for a cell, then we can find it. And if there isn't a marker for the cell, we can tell you that this is a cell type that may be interesting uh, to your work, and we'll talk about that shortly. So similarly, and immunology and the immune response, there are a lot of cytokines that are being produced. And our multiplexed cytokine panels, the Luminex panels, many of you are aware of this. We have a 41plex 
human panel and a 32-plex mouse panel. So in one well, we can analyze 41 different cytokines or chemokines. And so we have, as most of you looking around the room, a lot of you have used these fishing expeditions where we say, okay, we're going to run a 41-plex and you can buy a well or you can buy five wells or whatever. And in that way, you've got a bit of an idea of what's happening in the soups um, above your cells. So they've become very popular. Other services that, that we provide, research and development, we can help you customize your immunoassays, uh, help in experimental design and analysis and interpretation of the results. We also have a healthy donor leukocyte repository which is lymphocytes, PBMCs, monocytes, serum, and plasma. So if you would like to uh, use cryopreserved human leukocytes, come and see us. And if you'd like to use freshly isolated human lymphocytes, come and see us too. We can do that for you. We also do training. We have a flow cytometry course that we run probably twice a year. That's five lectures. We will teach you how to use the flow cytometers, and we will teach you how to analyze the data. So in altogether, those are the services that we provide for immune monitoring. So where are we? We are three labs at three locations. There's the immune monitoring lab here in Rubin. Then there's the flow cytometry lab down in Borwell, third floor of Borwell, and then way out there is the flow cytometry annex in Hanover. So that's in Remsen Building in Hanover. So who are we? Well, this, these are the people in the immune monitoring lab. And you will know uh, a lot of those faces. So Dan Milkars on the left is the assistant director, research scientist. Uh, Alan Bergeron next to him is the lab manager of immune monitoring. Uh, Pei Xing is a research scientist. And then our technologists, research assistants, Andrew and Michaela and Teaba, uh, these people make up immune monitoring. The technologists also float between flow cytometry in Borwell and Hanover and immune monitoring here in Rubin. Uh, you can see our premises, and uh, we have a couple of, we have three modules and two alcoves, plus an office and a computer room. The computer room is available for everybody. We have three very, very powerful iMacs there with flow cytometry software, and it's free to use. Anybody can come and use it. It's right outside my office, so if you have trouble, then I can help you out. The uh, flow cytometry lab, the lab manager here is Gary Ward, and Michaela is also um, helping out with the, with the flow cytometry course. She, she is now our second cell sorter person. Um, we have dedicated cell sorter cytometrists. Um, and you will be pleased to know that our faxaria is about to be upgraded to a four-laser instrument. Uh, we're having an, a yellow laser added to it to give us a bit more bandwidth in terms of fluids that can be used. So there are two flow cytometry labs, one in Borwell and the other one in Remsen in Hanover. 
and Remsen just has a new edition of a walk-up cell sorter, a Taito. So who uses DartLab? There's a lot of exciting science carried out in DartLab, um, generating an average of one peer-reviewed publication each week. So our users are diverse with appointments throughout the college, as you see there. And two-thirds of our users are also cancer center members and include 11 clinicians. So we have users from five of the six um, previous programs. So DartLab is a cancer center shared resource Historically, it's subsidized by the Cancer Center and also by a COBRA immunology grant to Bill Green. Uh, and that was over 10 to 15 years worth of subsidies there. And that got us off the ground many years ago. We're also used by pharma. And our pharma contracts for 2018, uh, you can see for yourself, Immunext is a big user, that's Randy Noel's um, company. And so we, we currently have a grant, uh, well, some, we're doing some research, a contract rather, with Sanofi through Immunext. Uh, that has been very interesting and that I'll talk about shortly. And we have had a, a lot of work through pharma previously in the years leading up to now. A lot of this work is um, pilot studies, and there might be preclinical studies with clinicians uh, that, that we have done. So what technology do we use? It's flow cytometry. That's the major technology. And what is flow cytometry? It's a fast method to interrogate multiple biomarkers simultaneously on hundreds of thousands of cells. So it allows the phenotypic and functional study of cell populations. The applications for the clinicians, and not just the clinicians, comparison between patient and healthy control individuals due to drug treatment or progression of disease or response to therapies. And we do this through the staining panels, flow cytometry staining panels. And we will advise you on how to make up these panels. They are not trivial. Uh, we used to have four colors, and that was easy. But now we have 20 colors with our new instruments. And that is, not, that is not at all trivial. So please come and see us and we can help you design these so that they will work for you. So the, the staining panels, what I'm showing here is on the left-hand column, the fluors, the fluors that are involved. So these are fluorochromes that are conjugated to antibodies that are used to detect markers on the cell surface or intracellularly or intranuclearly. And then I'm also showing five different staining panels, a column for the T cells, so you have a, a marker. And in this case, CD3 is the pan T cell marker. And then uh, live dead, you have a live dead stain if you're looking at PBMCs or any cells that aren't directly taken from whole blood. Various other markers in T cells, CD4s, CD45RA, that's a naive T cell marker or a naive cell marker, interleukin-2, an intracellular marker, and so it goes on. With Tregs, the marker there is FOXP3, 
B cells, we have IgD, CD38, CD27. So each of these subsets have their, has their own particular marker. Now, I'm going to show you a very short video. This view shows the primary systems of the flow cytometer schematically. These are the fluidic system, which presents samples to the interrogation point and takes away the waste. The lasers, which are the light source for scatter and fluorescence. The optics, which gather and direct the light. The detectors, which receive the light. And the electronics and the peripheral computer system, which convert the signals from the detectors into digital data and perform the necessary analyses. The interrogation point is the heart of the system. This is where the laser and the sample intersect, and the optics collect the resulting scatter and fluorescence. First, let's talk about how the sample is delivered to the laser. Here we see how the sample is transported through the interrogation point. For accurate data collection, it is important that particles or cells are passed through the laser beam one at a time. Most flow cytometers accomplish this by injecting the sample stream containing the cells into a flowing stream of sheet fluid or saline solution. As you can see, the sample stream becomes compressed to roughly one cell in diameter. This is called hydrodynamic focusing. As a cell passes through the laser, it will refract or scatter light at all angles. Forward scatter, or low-angle light scatter, is the amount of light that's scattered in the forward direction as laser light strikes the cell. The magnitude of forward scatter is roughly proportional to the size of the cell, and this data can be used to quantify that parameter. But how can we record this scattered light? Light is quantified by a detector that converts intensity into voltage. In most cytometers, a blocking bar, called an obscuration bar, is placed in front of the forward scatter detector. The obscuration bar prevents any of the intense laser light from reaching the detector. As a cell crosses the laser, light is scattered around the obscuration bar and is collected by the detector. The scattered light received by the detector is translated into a voltage pulse because small cells produce a small amount of forward scatter and large cells produce a large amount of forward scatter, the magnitude of the voltage pulse recorded for each cell is proportional to the cell size. If we plot a histogram of these data, smaller cells appear toward the left and larger cells appear toward the right. A histogram of forward scatter data is a graphical representation of the size distribution within the population, but such a graph only presents one-dimensional data. Next, let's look at side scatter. As we have already seen, a cell traveling through the laser beam will scatter light at all angles. Light scattering at larger angles, for example to the side, is caused by granularity and structural complexity inside the cell. This side-scattered light is focused through a lens system and is collected by a separate detector, usually located 90 degrees from the laser's path. The signals collected by the side-scatter detector can be plotted on one-dimensional histograms, like we saw for forward scattering. Now we can view the results obtained when we create a scatter plot using forward and side-scattered data from a typical peripheral blood cell run. The populations that emerge include lymphocytes, which are small cells possessing low internal complexity.
monocytes, which are medium-sized cells with slightly more internal complexity, and neutrophils and other granulocytes, which are large cells that have a lot of internal complexity. This multi-parametric analysis is the real power of flux cytometry. One of the most common ways to study cellular characteristics using flow cytometry involves the use of fluorescent molecules, such as fluorophore-labeled antibodies. In these experiments, the labeled antibody is added to the cell sample. The antibody then binds to a specific molecule on the cell surface or inside the cell. Finally, when laser light of the right wavelength strikes the fluorophore, a fluorescent signal is emitted and detected by the flow cytometer. How is this fluorescence information collected? The fluorescent light, coming from labeled cells as they pass through the laser, travels along the same path as the side scatter signal. As the light travels along this path, it is directed through a series of filters and mirrors, so that particular wavelength ranges are delivered to the appropriate detectors. If we analyze data from the two-color experiment using a scatter plot, four distinct populations emerge. Looking at the dot plot in terms of quadrants, cells with only bright orange fluorescence appear in the upper left quadrant. Cells with only green fluorescence appear in the lower right quadrant. Cells with both bright green and bright orange fluorescence appear in the upper right quadrant. And finally, cells with both low green and low orange fluorescence appear in the lower left quadrant. Multiple fluorescence parameters are necessary to dissect complex biological systems. Flow cytometry is a unique <coughs> tool, providing scientists with a way to gather statistical data on large numbers of cells and use that information to correlate multiple parameters within a cell population. This view should... So I'll make a plea here to all the PIs for your students. So please have them buy antibodies from reputable dealers like BD, Biolegend, eBioscience, Thermo Fisher. They're reputable. They do take care of, of, of their antibodies. They <coughs> validate some of them. It's really important. Rule number one, make sure that the antibody does what you think it does. Rule number two is to titrate the antibodies. That's really important. And if your students aren't titrating the antibodies, then it's, it's time they started to. It's really important. So flow cytometers that are available, historically, uh, when the previous director, Alice Given, was here, so this is pre-2010, the Lebanon site, we had a three-color fax scan, a four-color fax caliber, the faxaria cell sorter that we still have, and the six Califax Canto. Many of these were very dear to many of you who are sitting here today. However, they're nearly all gone. The only thing that is left now is the Faxaria cell sorter. And that's been upgraded a couple of times. Presently, we have, and, and what I'm showing is how we've obtained these. So uh, the Faxaria was originally obtained by a shared instrument grant. And the ARA grant uh, was how we got the first eight color max quant. It was a seven color, actually, at that time. This is one Patricia Ernst and I wrote for. And that was our first max quant. Now we have five on campus, one in Thayer. Uh, we have 
uh, 10 Caligalios, that was Cobra money and Cancer Center money. And recently, in the last year or so, we have a 27 Cali Yeti, which was purchased by the Cancer Center. And then we bought a second one, mainly as a backup, um, because of the clinical trials that this has generated. And that was purchased also with Cancer Center money, and we also put money from our pharma work into the um, cytometer. The, having the eight color cytometers originally, the Max Quants, that did change flow cytometry. We were, a lot of us, using three, four colors, and now I think many people are using eight colors. And with the advent of the Yetis, the ZD5 is the same instrument, but it's purchased under license to Biorad now. So those two have exactly the same optical benches, exactly the same filters. And that was deliberate. They're five laser instruments. They're 27 colors. There are not 27 non-overlapping fluids. We can use 20 of them. So this is made a huge difference to, to our capabilities um, in terms of analyzing subsets. Now in the Hanover site, there is a max quant. It's a vibe, vibe for the lasers. It's violet, yellow, and blue. And in the last two months, um, Jim Bliska has taken delivery of an eight-color max quant Taito cell sorter. So this is a walk-up sorter that you can use. It, it has uh, the same kind of operating system in terms of software as the other max quants. It's three lasers. It's a, it's, it's a cartridge. It's cartridge-based, and the pressure is about 3 psi, unlike the 70 psi of the Faxaria. And so it's a much gentler cell-sorting experience for the cells, so the viability and the yield is greater. There will shortly also be a Sony cell-sorter, a 12-color Sony cell-sorter, another walk-up instrument. This will be um, purchased by Chris Shoemaker, a recent addition. To, to Dartmouth. The instruments that we have in immune monitoring, uh, this is where the Yetis are and a, also Max Quant. You can see the funds that have come from Cobra, from Geisel. Geisel's also put money into a lot of our instruments, but especially the Cancer Center. Quality assurance is really important. And we have been audited by NIH for supplying high-quality PBMC isolation products for their pediatric flu clinical trials, uh, and also by a German company, ABF Pharmaceutical Services. They wanted to use us for a clinical trial that was being carried out at DHMC. It's very important that we get the right answer for what we're going to do for clinical trials. And to assure this, to ensure this, uh, our technologists carry out proficiency testing annually. So, so this is where samples are given to us and we carry out an assay of some sort or another. Um, 
the ones that we're doing recently are Luminex assays. So they're sent to labs throughout the country, throughout the world. Everybody does the assay the way that they do. They send the results back to a central lab, and the central lab then analyzes the results and tell you, tells you whether or not you're getting the same answer as they are in the rest of the world or not. And we get the same answer as the central lab. So that's very good. It's a way to know that our people are doing the right thing the right way. And this is just a list of the proficiency testing that we've carried out over the years and continue to carry out. Now, flow cytometry data analysis. I showed you the video because it can tell you so many things animated the way it is about flow. But it was very simple. You were looking at a four PMT system, a four detector system. And in, the, in those days, the data analysis was done by manual gating. And so you can see a forward scatter, side scatter gate, gating on your population of interest. And then these are gates to give singlets, single, single cells. So you saw in the uh, video that it was important that you only had a single cell going through the flow cell at a time. If you have two cells going through, then you could have a marker on one and a completely different marker on the other, and you think you've got something that's expressing both markers when that's not the case. So it's important that you gate out anything that is doublets or aggregates. But so we're looking at various different populations of interest, and these are the gates, these squares, they're just the gates. So the next graph represents what's in this gate. And so you are looking at another subpopulation, which looks like CD3 cells and CD4 and CD8 cells, and then you can look at more and more and more populations until you get a gating strategy, something like this. And may I also make a plea to the PIs that when you have, when you have a student presenting at Wednesday RIPs or whatever, please have them show these gating strategies and not just the results. They really need to show this because this is what your journals are asking for now. Journals are asking for a list of the antibodies, the, the clone names. Um, there's a lot more data that's being asked for in flow cytometry now and including gating strategies. So if we take the panels that are made by the Yetis now, these are 20 color panels. This one I'm showing here is a 35 color panel from a site off. So these are just bivariate plots like I just showed you. So just imagine trying to analyze all of these. It's not possible, it's not humanly possible. You can't even think about it, look at them all. But that's what you would have to do with this multicolor data that's coming from, this, from the Yetis now. So there has to be another way. Because you've got billions of multidimensional single cell measurements. So we have an unsupervised analysis. This is using algorithms, not using prior knowledge to guide the analysis with gates. And there are a lot of these packages available now. And these are all, all available within Flojo. 
So those of you with Flojo dongles, they're still okay. You just need to use Flojo 10. Uh, we're going to discuss TISNES or UMAPS and FLOSIM. So what is being shown here is a TISNE map. It looks a bit like a geographical island. In fact, they're called islands, um, each of those <coughs> colored contours. Now, to make this possible, we have to have really good scaling of the data. And some of you may be shown these kinds of plots where you have a lot of cells that are hard up against the axis, here and here. And people think, oh, well, this is all I really am interested in. We don't really worry about those because they're negative. They're really negative. But you do have to worry about those. And it's very easy to fix those with bi-exponential transformation plots or arc sine h plots. What this does is create an artificial, an artificial negative log. And there isn't such a thing mathematically, but in the flow cytometry field, there is. It's called logical scaling, L-O-G-I-C-L-E. And it's, what it's for is to enable, enable you to see all those cells that otherwise would be hard up against the axis. And it's really important for uh, computational analysis going forward. So this is what we're doing these days and with the clinical trials. So we have a patient, patient sample, in this case blood or, or marrow. I'm not having much luck with this. There it is. Um, often we have blood samples. So ordinary manual gating, you want to identify your major cell population. So if you're looking for regulatory T cells, you want to identify your CD3 positive population. And then you can use these various packages. And these packages are available, as I said, in Flojo. They are also part of R, um, the computational software. It's just a capital R. And these, these are all available within R. So if you can use R and just type it all out, you'll be able to use these easily. So to have a first look at what's happened, what's going on in here, we use a Visney algorithm. And this takes two-dimensional data, it takes rather 20-dimensional data, and then puts it into two dimensions. So it does that by nearest neighbors and looks at the markers that belong to the nearest neighbors. And so you're looking at 20 different dimensions. Just imagine when we stain with 20 different fluids, you have 20 different dimensions, each of those fluids. And so we're usually looking at two dimensions, and maybe in your mind you can see a third. So if two cells that are two different populations are hard up against each other in two dimensions, in 20 dimensions they could be well separated. But you can't see that if you're just looking at two dimensions. So uh, Visney plots, also known as TISNI, uh, also known as FITISNI, and there's another recent one called a UMAP, which is much faster. Uh, it's a much faster process.
process. Some of these can take hours to make. Um, the, new, the new algorithms are a lot faster that are in Flojo. So this gives you a bit of an overall idea of how many different populations there are. Um, a different way of looking at it is to use another algorithm called FlowSim. And FlowSim puts these populations, so this population here might be this population here, and then shows you all the different subpopulations within it. There's another algorithm called SPADE that does something very similar. Some of you may be familiar with SPADE. So you can see different subsets that we didn't have any idea about before when we were looking with 2D plots. And now you can see that this island, which might have been your naive CD4s, is comprised of so many different types of CD4 naive cells. And if you look at pre-treatment, post-treatment, now you can look at each of these and see if there's any differences. This is also able to be shown as a heat map. Uh, it's generated at the same time as this is. And now you can put your clinical features alongside and also your RNA-seq data. So now you have a whole idea, a whole new idea of what's going on clinically. So let's have a look at a few of these. So Ken Meehan, studying multiple myeloma, and the aim here of the study that he's doing with us is to estimate the efficacy of low and intermediate dose cyclophosphamide for stem cell mobilization and to investigate immune checkpoint molecule expression in peripheral blood. So that's his clinical protocol showing you there. And then at the end, we, uh, we get leukophoresis products, um, and also blood products earlier on. We isolate PBMCs, cryopreserve them, and then we batch, thaw, and stain them with these two panels, a T-cell panel and a myeloid panel. And you can see in the, check, the checkpoint molecules in this T-cell panel, LAG3, PD-1, CTLA-4, and VISTA, this one discovered by Randy, Randy Noel's lab. So the patient blood is drawn. We stain it with 12 to 14 color panels and run them on the ZE5. And then we manually remove the debris, the non-viables, non-lineage cells that we're not interested in. If we're looking at Tregs, we get rid of the B cells, the monocytes, and so on. So we start with the CD3 population. And then we run a TISNI or a UMAP. In this case, it's a UMAP. And so that's what we see. That's our entire CD3 population just there. So you can look at that CD3 population. This is the same thing here. But now, instead of looking at the entire thing, we're asking, okay, where are the CD4s? And there's a heat map showing you. So here's our CD4 population here. Where are the CD8s? They're here, which makes sense. <laughs> CD3, so if they're not CD4, they have to be CD8. So where are the CTLA4s? 
Well, blue is negative, red is positive. So we're looking at the green area. So we have some here on the CD4 population and some here on the CD8s. And we've got some more expression in different parts as well. Where's PD1? It's in similar places to the CTLA4, but it's all, it's kind of generally expressed in a lot of places. And where's VISTA? Well, we've got some heavy expression up here that's not the same as this, but may have some PD-1 in it. So that's just a first look. So it gives you a bit of an idea of where these markers are in relation to other markers. You can just scan across. Okay, there's my CD-4s. What's going on in CD-4? CTLA-4, PD-1, VISTA. It's very powerful. So we have that, and now we have a look at a flowsim. So it's just another way of looking at the data. But this is a bit more detailed, because now the, the flowsim has generated, in this case, 10 populations. We have a zero here. And you can ask it for as many populations as you might like. And these populations are color-coded, so you can figure out where they are. And if we look at this, it's called a star chart. So there's pies. The pies are, are, are made up of the markers. So where there's a pie to the end of the, to the, out to the circumference, that's high expression. So in this case, it's a red, it's CD4. So these cells are CD4. They also have some, this looks like lag three. Um, these cells over here have, are green, so this is CD, I can't read it, it's a PD-1. Um, they're CD-4s with PD-1 expression. And these ones have red, so they're CD-4. They also have orange, which is ICOS. And so you can see each population, and now you can phenotype what they are. Okay, it's telling you the phenotype of each population. So these the phenotype is similar, but the algorithm shows you that there are many subsets. There are differences within each of those populations. So these may be populations that are important to whatever treatment's going on. Uh, in this case, this is this population here, they're CD4 positive, 45RA positive, so they're naive CD4s. They're both VISTA positive and LAG3 positive, two checkpoint molecules. So you can put those populations, these populations here, you can drag them back into your TISNI or UMAP plot and now see where, they, where each population exists on this map. Okay, so you can double check. And not only that, but you can gate on any one of these and then go back and manually look on a, on a bivariate plot to make sure that they are what they say they are. And they are. So, and that's really important that you do that. You backgate and go and look manually. If you manually gated this, do you find exactly the same thing? And if you've done it well, you do. Um, so 
you can look at these again. So what's the composition of this island here, this subpopulation here? Well, it's not a CD4, it's a CD8. Doesn't have much CTLA4, but it has Vista in it. So you can go through and just check things. And here's your heat map for each of these populations. So population three, that's this green one here. And here's the heat map showing population three. And here it shows you which other populations it's similar to with the dendrogram. This, all, this is all given to you through Flojo. And the other thing that you can show, the dendrogram is marker expression, so it's median fluorescence intensity, what we all know as the MFIs. So it's, it's a measure of the biomarker, whether it's CD4 or LAG3 or CD127 or whatever it is. So red is really high expression um, for this particular marker, CD56, uh, NKT cell. So if you need these numbers, then the numbers are all there for you to, to plot, uh, if you rather not have it as a heat map. And then the populations themselves, the frequencies are all within the workspace, and so you can draw a population frequency graph uh, showing the numbers of cells in each of these populations, in each of these colored populations. Okay. So you can see where most of the cells lie and which populations have very few cells. So this is an example of pretreatment against post-treatment. And so looking at these, you can see immediately the loss of cells. So whether, where you have a lot of cells up here and now you have fewer. Or perhaps the gain of cells I mean, here's another loss here. So here you've got a lot of cells expressing a lot of markers, and here they're gone. Um, here's another one, nothing much there, and now that population has changed. And so looking at the heat maps, you can see the different changes that have gone on. You can see the before and after changes. And if you look also, this is the frequency, so this is cell numbers shown as a heat map, you can see the differences pre and post treatment, the numbers of cells. So you're looking at frequency over here, and you're looking at MFI or cell expression there. So this is Joe Phillips' lung cancer study that we're doing with him. Um, this is an example. So he's trying to determine whether a simple peripheral blood biomarker, in this case Treg frequency, can differentiate benign from malignant lung nodules and detect lung cancer earlier. So the idea for this study is to look at lung cancer patients um, and also benign lung nodule, patients with benign lung nodules and healthy controls. And then various time points. So we will have, this is peripheral blood at various time points. And we were asked to look for regulatory T cells. 
And Joe had published a paper previously where he had looked as well as FOXP3 uh, at IL-10, IL-17, ROR, gamma T. And so this was not a small feat to try and put all these intracellular and intranuclear markers into the same panel. Um, but we did. So some are intranuclear. The red one is FOXP3. It's intranuclear. And the other three are intracellular biomarkers. So what blood cells should we stain? In the previous study, in Meehan's study, we had cryopreserved PBMCs because then you can, free, you can thaw them all and stain them in a single batch. So that eliminates batch-to-batch -batch variability. However, if you need to stain whole blood, then you're doing that the day of blood draw. And so that is a, a different story. So what, what should we do? Should we use whole blood or fresh PBMCs, freshly isolated PBMCs, or should we use cryopreserved PBMCs? So for these studies, we need to stimulate the cells with PMA ionomycin in the presence of menensin. So you don't want them to spit out what, they've been, what they want to secrete extracellularly, or you won't find it inside the cell, which is why you use menensin. And this is a four-hour stimulation, then we stain with this panel. So here's the results. We have fresh blood, unstimulated and stimulated, and we're looking at IL-17 production. Here's freshly isolated PM, PBMCs, unstim, stim, and cryopreserved PBMCs. So our best bet here is to use whole blood. If we're looking at CTLA-4, it's the same story. We do see CTLA-4 production if we have cryopreserved PBMCs. But we, we do see some IL-17 staining here. Our ROR gamma T, we don't see much staining um, at all. However, we do have another marker in here, a marker of IL-17, of T-helper-17 cells, which is CD146, and this correlates well with our IL-17 production. So if we look at this another way, we can look at all the CD4 T-cells, and we can gate them, we can manually gate them for memory or for naive, or we can use the, the Tisney Islands that tell us memory and naive cells. And what we've done here, or what Peixing has done here, is he has um, looked at the, the single IL-17 cluster, which is here. The memory cells are in green, and the naive cells are in blue. Now, you can ask Flojo to show you the histograms of all the staining. So now you see, here's the IL-17 positive cells. They're in red. So what other markers are they, are they expressing? So they're also expressing this marker here, CTLA-4, uh, not much CCR7. There's some ROR gamma T. They are memory T cells. They're not naive. They have some CD25 expression, some IL-10 expression, some PD-1 expression, and so on. It's a very powerful tool, very powerful way to look at what's going on. 
And the other way of, of looking at this is with FLOSIM. What are the populations? Well, the IL-17 is yellow, so look around for the one with the yellow, and there it is. And then if you look at that on FLOJO, you gate it and look at it, this is what you find. It's IL-17 positive. And this is with stimulated blood. And the only other very small presence is with cryopreserved PBMC. So really for this study, the conclusion is we need to use whole blood if this is what we want to find. Uh, in the interest of time, I will bypass that. Now, um, Cascade Charest has another study here that, that we're doing with him to estimate the levels of vista expression in responder and non-responder patients. These are those who are receiving immunotherapy for a malignant melanoma or non-small cell lung cancer. And VISTA, this V domain is what it stands for, V domain Ig suppressive T cell activation. It's a novel negative checkpoint regulator for cancer that Randy Noel has discovered. So we could be looking at a new cancer immunotherapy. So the idea here is to have two blood draws pre-treatment and two to three months post-treatment for melanoma, lung cancer, and healthy controls. And we have generated these four different multicolor panels that we're, that we're using. And I'm just going to show the granulocyte panel here. Um, here's our TISNI map. And we're looking at pretreatment in blue. And then the changes, when you look at post-treatment, you see that the islands are different. So things have moved. The neutrophils now have changed populations. So we look at that a bit in a bit more depth, and you can see here that now there's many more of these in this population, in this red population. Many more cells expressing different expressing those kinds of markers. Uh, in the purple population, you've lost a lot of these cells. And similarly here, in the deep purple population and in the green population. Now, neutrophils are a bit of a black box right now. So this is very exciting information. We, we just don't know what these subpopulations might be other than these markers here. And if you look at normal neutrophil markers like myeloperoxidase, everybody's expressing it. So, you know, that's not very helpful. Um, we need to look at RNA-seq and come up with different markers, hopefully that there are antibodies for, that we can look at things with. Um, and similarly, we can, we can see heat maps, we can see differences in frequencies, just as we did for the Meehan panels. These are all the things that are now available. Uh, the last thing I want to show you is a study that we were doing with Immunext and Sanofi. And what we were asked to do was to determine the CD40, CD40, well, what they're trying to do, determine the CD40, CD40 ligand signature to identify potential biomarkers for lupus and uh, multiple sclerosis. So, we were making panels and trying to determine 
whether or not there were differences in flow cytometry that could be, that would tell the usefulness of RNA-seq uh, being applied to samples. So were these cells activated after being stimulated? Uh, and we did this with, initially with healthy control donors. So healthy control donors, blood stimulated ex vivo, uh, add the staining panel, and then here's traditional gating, uh, UMAPs, FLOSIM, and then what is the phenotype. And Dan was responsible for this data. So there's your traditional gating, and we're looking at uh, CD83 staining, uh, CD86, CD83, uh, in this case actually CD86, and with traditional staining with the various donors, these are just different donors showing you the variability, no stimulation, then with CD40 ligand itself uh, in various doses. So this is just a dose response. And you can see what happens. This is unstimulated up here and stimulated here. So you lose an entire population of cells. They, they change their phenotype with stimulation. And this can be followed with FLOSIM and then backgated so you can be sure that the populations that you usually see are actually here in your FLOSIM diagrams. So you can make sure that this is what, you, what you're used to seeing previously. So um, the signature has, has led to single-cell RNA-seq and RNA-seq studies being carried out on SLE patient samples and multiple sclerosis samples. And with that, I would like to end and acknowledge the patients and healthy individuals who have donated the specimens. Um, Dart Lab staff, my wonderful staff, uh, who do all the hard work. NCCC, especially Bob Gerlach and Rich Lucius and Brenda Barubi, who provide a lot of very helpful admin and financial information. Um, COBRA and Bill Green, our internal advisory committee, and Drs. Noel Lewis and Tomlinson, and Immunext. Immunext have made a lot of what we do possible. They have brought us into high-tech assays because of what, what they want to do, and they provide the money that we can do it, and therefore that keeps our rate low so you can do it. And also Curtis Peterson in the Christensen Lab for helping us with the analysis pipeline. And I will stop there. Thank you. One quick question, anyone? Services? I have one. Um, what do you think, if you could buy uh, the next instrument and money was not, not an issue, where, where would the technology go in the next two years? So there's an instrument out there called an isoplexus. And what this is, it allows you to look at single cell cytokine production. So it's a bit like Illuminex, but now you can do this 
with a single cell in a single, just one cell per well. So you can incubate these cells overnight in these cartridges that have multiple antibodies to multiple cytokines. And they're showing that they show a difference between responders and non-responders in clinical trials if you do this, if you use this assay. That isn't shown uh, by Luminex or by flow cytometry or even by RNA-seq. You could integrate all that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you, Jackie. You're very welcome. Thank you.